Hey everyone, it's Daniel here. Before we get into today's episode, just want to give you a quick reminder that I will be hosting a giveaway for the podcast soon. The podcast is turning it's turning one in June. Uh, it's turning one in June on June the 13th, and I'm excited to do a giveaway uh, for to celebrate the one year anniversary of the show. Um, I did a uh, I did a short episode about the giveaway, detailing everything, and there will also be some details in the description of today's episode about the giveaway. Uh, but just to quickly give you some details about how you can enter and what it's for, um, I am partnering with the Isaiah 117 House for this giveaway. If you are not aware, uh, the Isaiah 117 House is a Tennessee-based nonprofit organization that provides physical and emotional support in a safe and loving home for children awaiting foster care placement. Um, they have locations all across the Southeast United States, and they're a really, really great organization. And so I'm excited to have this opportunity to partner with them. If you want to uh, enter the giveaway, all you have to do is um, make a donation to the Isaiah 117 house through Venmo. Uh, you can make your your donation in $5 increments. So if you make a $5 donation, that will be one submission into the giveaway. A $10 donation will be two submissions and so on and so forth. Uh, the winner of the giveaway will be announced on Monday, June the 12th, and they will receive the first ever Radio Face t-shirt, the first ever Radio Face sticker, and a $50 Visa gift card, all for all given to you, uh, shipped straight to you. Uh, so again, you can make as many entries as you like. All proceeds will go directly to the Isaiah 117 house. Uh, none of this will be coming back to me, so I really hope you take this opportunity to support this great organization and all the great work they're doing. If you don't have uh, to make a donation, you'll need to do it through Venmo. So if you don't have a Venmo account, you can download it for free on your phone, hook up your bank account, and then make a donation to uh, the Chambliss Center, which handles all the finances for the Isaiah 117 house. Uh, the handle for the Chamble Center on Venmo is at C-H-A-M-B-L-I-S-S-C-E-N-T-E-R. Um, that's where you can find them on Venmo. And whenever you make this donation to enter this, the giveaway, just make a note with your donation, uh, you know, just distinguishing that this is for the giveaway. So you can make a note saying Radio Face Podcast. You can make a note that just says podcast. You can make a note that says giveaway, anything along those lines that denotes that you are making this donation to the Isaiah 117 house for this giveaway. Uh, as I said, the winner will be announced on Monday, June the 12th. So you've got a lot of time to enter this giveaway. Uh, and I'm really excited to partner with the Isaiah 117 house and raise some money for a great cause. Thank you all for all the support you've given me uh, over this year so far. And I'm excited for year number two. Thank you for the Isaiah 117 house for partnering with me. And I'm really excited to uh, take this opportunity to help out a great organization. There'll be some more details about this down in the description. So if you'd like to learn more, head down there to the description, check everything out down there for more details. And if you have any questions about the giveaway, feel free to reach out to me on social media at Radio Face Pod on all social media platforms, or simply go to... Um, or simply email me at radiofacepod at gmail.com with any questions you have about the show or about the giveaway. Thank you again for all your support. And now let's jump into the episode. Hey there, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the podcast. My name is Daniel Trinum, and I will be your host as always. Before we get started with today's episode, I want to let you know of a few things of note. First, you may or may not be aware that I host another podcast called The Third Seat. The Third Seat is unrelated to the podcast you are listening to right now, but if you'd like to check it out, then I will put a link in the description of today's episode that you can use to listen to it. If you like this podcast, then I really think you will like The Third Seat as well, so I highly recommend you check it out. Next, I want to let you know of a few ways you can support the podcast. First, be sure to tell a friend if you enjoy the show. 
Word of mouth is not only a great way to help support the show, but it's also zero cost. Secondly, if you enjoyed today's episode, then be sure to leave a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. Leaving a positive review is one of the best ways of not only supporting the show, but it also gives me direct feedback from you regarding how you feel about the show overall. I greatly appreciate if you decide to take the time to support the show in any of these ways. Finally, if you'd like to follow me or the show on social media, then feel free to check out the description of today's episode. Here you will find all affiliated and mentioned links, as well as how you can support the show online. As always, I want to thank you for tuning into and supporting the show. It really means a lot to me, and I hope you enjoyed today's episode as much as I enjoyed making it for you. But first, I'd like to take a moment to thank the sponsor of today's episode, Lucky to Know You Apparel. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever loved your friend so much that you just want to squeeze them until they explode? Well, this local Chattanooga-based clothing brand wants to portray that feeling into a community that appreciates the people in their lives. Today's sponsor, Lucky to Know You Apparel, is using fashion and feelings to bring people together, making them ecstatically say, can you believe we happen to exist at the same time? Check out their Instagram, at Lucky to Know You Apparel, and website, www.luckytoknowyou.com, to purchase your own apparel or gift one to a friend. Listeners of this podcast can use code FEELINGLUCKY for 15% off your next order. Again, that is code FEELINGLUCKY, spelled F-E-E-L-I-N-L-U-C-K-Y, at checkout for 15% off your next order. And hey, if no one has told you today, we are lucky to know you. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. My name is Daniel Trinum. I will be your host for this episode as always, and I'm excited for today's episode. Uh, my guest today is someone that I have been kind of watching from the sidelines for uh, a couple months now. I've been keeping up with some of their work and what they do, and uh, here in Chattanooga, they've their profile has been growing a lot as of late, uh, at least from where I stand, and I'm really excited to have them on the show today. Uh, my guest today is someone who uh, is a is is considered one to to be one of the best chefs in the Chattanooga area, uh, and and is a little bit of uh, Chattanooga royalty in a sense. So, uh, Kenyatta, thank you for joining me today. Uh, thank you, Daniel. Appreciate you having me. Yeah, for sure, man. So, uh, for for those that may not be aware of you and, and what you're doing, and and just kind of the the backstory and history of of who you are and what you know how you got to where you are today, would you care to just share a little bit of information about yourself? Well, um, I'm a native New Orleanian, uh, born and raised there. Mm-hmm. Uh, moved to Chattanooga in 2003 and been living here the majority of my adult life. I've had several careers since moving to Chattanooga. Mm-hmm. I started off my professional career in Chattanooga as a teacher in the Hamilton County School System. Mm-hmm. Uh, I taught for about four and a half years at uh, Tyner High School. Mm-hmm. I coached two sports while uh, while as a teacher there. Really? I, yeah, I coached uh, the boys varsity basketball team oh, and wow. uh, the girls varsity softball team. Wow. Yeah. So that was, uh, those were some really cool experiences <laughs> yeah. and everything. And, uh, my teaching, teaching experience was, was, uh, was a really good one too. I, I experienced a lot of growth personally, yeah. uh, uh d- during that experience. That's awesome. That's awesome. So I'm, I'm curious. I, uh, I played basketball in high school and I'm, I'm just curious now. So was this something that you were really wanting? Like, was this something you had wanted to do or was it something that you just kind of like this opportunity for you to coach? Was it, was it something that you just kind of fell into to a degree? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. It's absolutely something I've, I fell into to mm-hmm. a degree. Um, 
professionally teaching wasn't something that was on my radar. Mm -hmm. um, and naturally, becoming a teacher, being a high school and college basketball player, coaching kind of kind of was a natural progression, mm -hmm. you know, after, when the need arise, mm -hmm. arose at the school. So, um, yeah, so the principal, you know, <laughs> when, when I took the job, probably already had that in mind when yeah. she hired me. So Yeah, nice, nice. That's cool. Uh, so for those that may not be aware, uh, you were the, and I'm sure you've been talked about this a lot lately, but it's, it's definitely worth mentioning. Uh, so you were on the, the relatively popular, uh, show chopped back in 2021. Is that correct? Yes. 2021. Yeah. So how was that experience like for you and what, and like kind of what all went down during that time? It was a really cool experience. Uh, I'm grateful, uh, for the opportunity. I probably wouldn't have said that when it was happening. <laughs> Why do you say that? Uh, because it, it it was pretty challenging. It was uh, very uh, very nerve wracking. Yeah. Uh, you know, cooking under pressure like that. Yeah. And, and, and whatnot. But uh, I'm really grateful for the experience. Um, really grateful that I won. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, I'm sure. Yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> you know, receiving a ten thousand dollar check. You know, yeah. at, at the end of it wasn't a bad thing at all. Yeah. You know, and it, and it's helped to uh, give me. My, my business and myself personally as a chef in my current career, uh, some notoriety, yeah. which, which I'm, I'm appreciative of. So. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. So for those, if you, if you haven't seen the show before, basically correct me if I'm wrong, like basically what happens is it's, it's like a competition in three parts. Like you have to cook yes. three different dishes and it's you and maybe three or four other people. And they'll, they don't tell you like the ingredients that they give you beforehand. Like you just have like a box in front of you and then you open it up and it's, you know, five or six different ingredients and they tell you to make something and then, then you go right there. Is that correct? Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> so, so is the, the pressure of the show, like, is it actually, like, is it actually the way they present it on the show? Like, do you, is it really as silly as it sounds like, do you really only know the ingredients the second you, you open up that box or is it, is, is there any kind of like fabrications of the show that maybe we that are watching aren't aware of? No, it's totally authentic. <laughs> very, very much. So yeah. you, you would think, uh, but so the only thing that they do that you you wouldn't be aware of as a as a as a consumer or a viewer, you know, watching the show uh, after it's taped is that you know when we walk in, you know at six a.m. Mm -hmm. you know we do some preliminary things we sign you know NDAs and and contracts and stuff like that mm -hmm. we get fitted for jackets and and whatnot mm -hmm. then once we've gotten all that done and they're ready for us to walk on the studio floor. Mm -hmm. You know, they show us, you know, our stations. You, you're going to be here, 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 and everything. And, and as the rounds go on, if you make it, you're going to be here, 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 and, mm -hmm. and so on and so on. And then <clears throat> you get to walk through the pantry. Yeah. And they show you all of the equipment and whatnot. They don't necessarily show you how to work it or whatever mm -hmm. or how to use it. Yeah. Then they let you look in the fridge. Mm -hmm. And that's all you get. Really? And then, you know... When you you're that's done, you, yeah. you get back in place, and the cameras and the yeah. lights come on, and yeah. it's time to go, baby. <laughs> so, so when when they when you walk through the pantry, are they show, like you said they're showing you the equipment? Are you also seeing like ingredients that they have there on the site? Correct. Well, okay, correct. Gotcha. They they allow they allow you to peruse that and see what's in the fridge. You know, these are the herbs that we have. This is what a cream is, the butter and blah blah blah, and everything's enough yeah. for everybody, and yeah. all that stuff. You know, yeah. so. Um, you, you get to do that and that's really, you know, and it's, and it's fair because everybody, you know, the four contestants at the beginning of the competition, you know, get to, get to 
be on the same playing field mm-hmm. and stuff you know besides the yeah. skills set that they bring yeah you know to the, to the competition yeah that's awesome so in in preparation for this i was listening to some different interviews and stuff that you did and just kind of reading up on uh just kind of some stuff that went down and you said in an interview uh that so i believe the way the show is done is there's three different three different dishes and usually the last one is a dessert correct correct so If I heard you correctly, and I wrote this down to make sure, you said that the dessert that you had to make, the ingredients they gave you were corn dogs, chocolate-covered strawberries, like cereal yogurt, and cookies. Is that correct? Correct. So... <laughs> First off, what what did you make with that? Like, I don't even i have, I haven't seen this, but what did you what did you how did you concoct that into a dessert? Is is my first question for you. So in the previous round, uh, the entree round, I, I had cooked rice, and um, Scott Conan had got up from the judges' table to ask me if I had enough time to cook the rice, <laughs> and I actually didn't. So my rice wasn't actually um, that great. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to prove if when I made it to the dessert round that I can cook rice properly. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> so I decided to make rice pudding. Mm-hmm. And it was something that I, I was sure of being able to do and be able to add lots of flavor to it and, and also use the ingredients to, um, to, to my advantage. Because most people, where they make mistakes is they either try to make a bread pudding mm-hmm. or bake something or they try to make ice cream. Mm-hmm. And those usually, if they don't work out, are the kisses of death mm-hmm. and everything. Because if you mess up any of those and you put all your ingredients in any, in any of those mm-hmm. dishes and they either get burnt or they're not cooked enough, mm-hmm. you know, it kind of kind of serves as a double whammy and mm-hmm. kind of makes you an easy target for elimination. Mm-hmm. So my strategy was to make sure that <laughs> I cook something that I could do mm-hmm. and also you know, highlight the ingredients that they gave me. So yeah. uh, with the corn dog and the cookies, I made a streusel. Okay. Um, with the cereal yogurt, I used it as the uh, wet ingredient to make um, to make the uh, the rice pudding. Mm-hmm. And uh, the chocolate-covered strawberries, I just kind of chopped them up and used as a garnish. One of the things I regret doing is I probably should have put some chocolate into the rice pudding to yeah. kind of make it more interesting. But, yeah. you know, it's neither here nor there. Yeah, so. I mean, it all worked out in the end. So. Yeah, it worked out. <laughs> yeah. See, it's funny the way that you the way that you describe that. You describe it very like, yeah, I was given these ingredients. And so I was thinking of what I wanted to make with it. And I wanted to stand out, but also didn't want to, you know, do anything that I wasn't totally uncomfortable with. So I just used these ingredients to make this thing. And it turned out well. And in my mind, again, I'm still just like. You, they gave you corn dogs and cookies, you know, I'm just like, it's, right, it's, right. it's, I would have, I would have loved to have seen just, I would have loved to have seen what it was like to somehow turn all of that into one dish is, I just think it's, I, whenever I heard that, I was like, that is, that's very, and I know that their style is very much like, they're going to give you some, some ingredients that you've probably worked with before, but they're always going to throw in kind of one curveball ingredient, you know? Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that they were like, yeah, we'll give you cookies and chocolate covered strawberries. And we'll also throw in some corn dogs in there because right. yeah, I mean, you can use cookies and strawberries for a dessert, but then what are you supposed to do with a corn dog? You know? So I just thought it was very interesting. Whenever you, whenever you opened up the box and saw that, were you, did you have like a moment of like, I don't know what I'm going to do with this? Or did you have, or were you just, you know, in that moment where you just like, yeah, I think, I think I've got this. Like, what were you thinking in that moment whenever you opened it up? I think part of the strategy too is uh, to actually do some homework before you go on the show and actually watch previous episodes Mm -hmm. and to see what works and what doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And usually, you know, there aren't the, the judges, You'll 
if you were to go on the show, you know, most of the judges are going to be the same if you're lucky mm-hmm. and everything. So one of the things that I knew going on the show when I saw the judges, I know Scott Conant mm-hmm. doesn't like red onions. Oh, okay. <laughs> so don't put red onions on your food. That makes sense. You know, so um, there are some things that, you know, you can you can kind of prepare yourself for mm-hmm. and everything. And um, uh, the other thing, too, that I learned is that you don't have to use the entirety of an ingredient. Like, for example, I could have just used the chocolate from the chocolate covered strawberries gotcha. and not using gotcha. strawberries. So with, with the corn dog, I didn't use that. I, I didn't actually use the hot dog. I just used the, oh, the, the okay. breading from the corn sense. dog to make the streusel. You know, I added some sugar and flour and some other stuff to it. And then I baked it and used it as a garnish for for the bread, the banana, the, the rice pudding. So, so the actual hot dog in the middle of it was was never a part of your of the dish you made. No, no gotcha. No. Okay. Yeah. See that that makes that makes a lot more sense to me because still this whole time I'm thinking, what, where do you put the hot dog in all of this? You know, right, right, <laughs> so, right, right. That's funny. That's funny. Um, and so now you're you're you things are going uh, with you over at Neutral Ground. How are things going with you so far? Now that you're initially when you started that you were at Proof. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. So now that you're, you know, you're, you're on your own, like you're in your own space now, what are your, your thoughts now that you're at where you're at at this moment? Well, uh, when we moved out of Proof, you know, the intention was to, to move into our own space, but that hasn't actually happened yet. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> between time, we have been doing pop-ups and catering and things mm-hmm. of that nature. So if you, when you listen to this episode, guys, you know, if you have any needs to, uh, uh, for food service or a caterer mm-hmm. or a private chef, Please, you know, send me an email at neutralgroundchat at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you can go to my Instagram page and put in put in a, a catering request via my Linktree page. Um, but um, right now, um, I've been working on uh, some 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 of the background business aspects of, of, of opening my restaurant mm-hmm. and um, preparing to, to uh, reach out to the public for funding. Nice. And uh, right now, um, <clears throat> most likely the next uh, phase of what we're going to do is to, to, to start a food truck. Nice. And uh, we're probably going to operate a food truck like it was a freestanding restaurant mm-hmm. and park our, our, our vehicle in, in one location mm-hmm. and keep it there you know, for yeah. the entirety yeah. of the time that we'll be operating that until we open our brick and mortar. Yeah. So, and, and so do you think you would take it ever like out and around, like, or would you mostly just keep it in that one spot? Um, for the most part, you know, if it works out, we'll, we, we're, we're going to try to keep it in the one spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to try to put it in a centralized location, uh, that, uh, the majority of my customers, mm-hmm. you know, could come to, mm-hmm. um, that would be easier, easier for them. Um, but yes, we will, we will move it to do events and things like that for sure. Um, like if we have an event that people want to book us for and we can bring our truck to maybe cater a wedding, Mm -hmm. you know, we'll do that, you know, on, on, on a given day. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, if we go to, you know, some kind of festival of of some sort, Mm -hmm. we'll move our truck to go serve food Mm -hmm. on a, uh, on a day like that, you Mm -hmm. know, just to, just to, uh, no, try to capture as many sales and, yeah. and as much revenue as we possibly can. Sweet. That's awesome. So you mentioned, uh, you know, towards the beginning and you've said it in other, other formats as well, that you, uh, you're from the New Orleans area. Is that correct? Yes. Born and raised in New Orleans proper. Uh, I was born in Girt Town. If you're from New Orleans, 
you know what I'm talking about. Uh, I was I was born and raised in the uptown New Orleans in the Carrollton Gertown area. And uh, when I was a kid, we had a house fire, so we were homeless for a while, and we ended oh, up wow. moving, you know, quite a bit, and then uh, eventually, you know, settled on the West Bank in New Orleans. And I, I uh, spent my formative years, you know, from third grade until graduating high school, uh, living in the uh, Algiers neighborhood of New Orleans. So now that you, uh, obviously now you're living in Chattanooga, do you have any like formative memories? Uh, maybe it was that like a grand a grandparent's house or maybe your own house or anything, like any formative memories that really sparked your love for cooking and for crafting a meal and for food in general? Like I know for me, uh, you know, something that I always think of is for like, I'm, I'm no chef in any way. Like I can cook a few things, but I'm not, I'm not trying to sit here and pretend like I'm some world renowned chef or anything, but, uh, something specifically regarding food that I know that I will, like I always cherish and always think of is the meal that my, my mother always makes for us on Christmas, like the, like Christmas morning. That's like a memory of mine that we, I still have. And that we, you know, we always celebrate it every year. And it's something that's always stuck with me. Is there, do you have any memories like that of your time in new Orleans that has, kind of helped you come to where you are today or has that has helped spark your kind of uh, your love and joy for creating and, and serving food? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I grew up in a big family, so um, I'm oh, how, one many, of, how many siblings you have? Uh, I'm one of seven. Oh, wow. I have two of the brothers, a young, uh, three younger sisters and a younger brother. And uh, my mom comes from a big family. She's one of nine and my dad is one of 13. Wow. Uh, big family so, reunions. Yeah, big, right? Um, <laughs> So, um, cooking, you know, was always something that, um, that came, seems like it came naturally for my mother mm-hmm. and family gatherings during Christmas, you know, when all of the aunts, uncles and relatives maybe came back from Milwaukee or Detroit or from wherever they had moved to mm-hmm. <clears throat> in their adult lives and with their families, uh, they would always come back to my mom's house. Mm-hmm. And when we would gather under the Claiborne Bridge in New Orleans for Mardi Gras to go watch the Zulu or the Rex Parade, mm-hmm. um, we, my mom was always the, the person who organized the food and everything. Mm-hmm. So um, food and family gatherings and celebrations, whether it be Easter, Christmas, Thanksgiving, um, was always the centerpiece mm-hmm. of, of the, the holiday celebration. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Growing up in a culture that that uh, f- that celebrates food mm-hmm. like New Orleans does in Louisiana, you know, it's hard um, not to have an appreciation for cuisine. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a saying that that goes, you know, when we're eating breakfast, you know, we think we talk about lunch. When we're eating lunch, we're thinking about <laughs> dinner. Everything. So um, that's that. I will say, as a personal note, that is definitely true for me. That's the. I'm, yeah. I am that way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was. Uh, it was. It was really cool. Uh, that the bug bit me, you know, as a young adult, and I transitioned uh, from my previous career career to uh, to becoming uh, a food person or a food entrepreneur mm-hmm. and everything. Um, it just seems like it was a natural transition for me. Yeah. And so do you have like a, is there like a dish or any specific kind of meal or any, any specific kind of any food that like take really takes you back to those, that time whenever you were in, you were in New Orleans? Like, cause I know that, you know, specifically New Orleans cooking, like if there's a lot of very famous dishes and like 
they're very well known for, you know, the most common ones are like gumbo and jambalaya. Are there any specific dishes that you, that are really personal to you that really bring you back to that time whenever you were living in New Orleans? Um, there are a few that I always go to, um, especially during uh, any holiday celebration, mm-hmm. particularly Christmas or Thanksgiving when uh, I go home to see my mom. And uh, they're the stuffed merleton, which is usually made with uh, a crab and seafood stuffing with some kind of ground meat or mm-hmm. something like that. That You know, merleton in Louisiana is what everybody else would call it, a chayote squash. Okay. It's a little green thing that looks like, they call it an alligator pear. Like uh-huh. if you go to one of the, one of the Tienzas here, like Loa or somewhere, you might find it on the shelf. Mm-hmm. Uh, we eat, ate those quite a bit growing up. That's something that, you know, um, I, you don't usually find in a lot of places outside of Louisiana, even in the restaurants that are themed mm-hmm. uh, around the New Orleans cuisine. Yeah. Or stuffed stuffed bell peppers, mm-hmm. um, a really nice bowl of seafood gumbo. Mm-hmm. But the most simple and unex, unex, unexpected one is uh, a nice bowl or plate of red beans and rice. Mm-hmm. Um, just prepare it really well. You know, nice creamy beans and some really good rice and some. Some uh, s- some salted pork in the in the beans or whatnot, mm-hmm. or some smoked pork in the beans, and mm-hmm. it's just something about it, man, that just really oh, yeah. you know uh, really comforts me. Yeah, well, that's that's one of those dishes that, and I mean, there's uh, you know different variations of it, and like there's a tons of different combos of of beans and rice that you can make, uh, but that's one of those dishes that it's something about the simplicity of it, at least to me, the simplicity of it is what makes it so special. Uh, because like, I know that my, like growing up, uh, some, we ate a lot, you know, in, in my household and just, I, I don't, I don't know if this is a regional thing, but I know that specifically in the South, it's very popular is some kind of variation of cornbread and beans. Like it's, it's similar in, you know, in, in theme of, of red beans and rice. Cause you've got your starchy carb and you've got your, your beans to go with it. But, mm-hmm. uh, even that meal, it's very, nothing. I mean, it's, it's very simple. You've got your cornbread and then you've got a pole, a, a big old pot of some kind of beans, whether, you know, traditionally we would eat with, with pinto beans and it's the same idea. Uh, but there's something about it that even to this day, whenever, you know, if, if, uh, I, I haven't made it personally myself, but, uh, like if, if my a family member of mine makes it, it's one of those dishes that I'm still excited to eat. Cause it's just something about the simplicity of it that one is just really good and tasty. Uh, but two, it's, brings me back to kind of whenever I was younger and that was a, a frequent staple of, of the household that I grew up in. So there's something about those, those simple dishes, uh, that still, sh- you know, shine through. Uh, and I think there's, I think there's something to that. Honestly, I think there's something that, um, I think that those are parts of our individual and collective histories that is worth hanging on to, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. One of the things, so I'll, um, Staying on topic and kind of breaking off topic. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I, I've learned uh, in my continuing education as a chef and a culinarian, and also learning about my personal history uh, as an African American, mm-hmm. was uh, I've taken a couple. I've just just returned last week uh, from Cameroon. Yeah, yeah. And I've taken two previous trips to uh, Benin in West Africa and uh, Ghana in West Africa. And on my my first trip. To to which was to Ghana. 
I learned, you know, that a lot of the beans that are that I grew up eating and that are part of Southern culture, you know, were first domesticated in West Africa. Mm-hmm. Uh, cow peas. Mm-hmm. Uh, I eat black eyed peas and yeah. Crowder peas yeah. and Sea Island red peas and things like that. And the bean culture is a thing that traveled throughout the diasporic journey mm-hmm. of the enslaved people going to Brazil, which the national dish in Brazil is feijoada, which are black beans, and uh, cassava and, and, and smoked pork. Gotcha. Uh, then you go to a, c- a country like Haiti or, or, or Puerto Rico, yeah. and you got you know, uh, rice and peas, uh, Jamaica rice and peas, and then the bean culture in, in, in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one, you know, that um, that's very prominent, too. Mm-hmm. And that that points back to the the uh, West African influence on the food culture in the South. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the cornbread, as you as you stated and stuff, you know, like we eat our our beans with rice, but we also eat cornbread, too. Yeah. Um, but I would probably eat cornbread more with my greens, but I still eat my greens yeah. with rice as yeah. well. <laughs> you know, so and that double starch thing. Uh, as, as, a, as a hallmark of, of West African culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, also cornbread, you know, kind of comes to us in, in the South from Native Americans. Yeah. Um, so just being able to, to kind of taking those trips and being able to discover, you know, some of those connections was really important to me yeah. and everything. And it all, it kind of makes, you know, that the, when I have a chance to enjoy a bowl of beans mm-hmm. and rice or beans and cornbread and mm-hmm. stuff like that, um, even more special. Yeah. Um, and one of the things, too, I first encountered, um, <clears throat> I kind of knew about it beforehand, but it really kind of dawned, dawned on me and everything kind of came home was uh, when I was in Ghana for the first time is watching uh, how... Um, they prepare food and how they prepare the starch. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the starches that they eat, you know, in most West African countries is this thing called fufu. Mm-hmm. And they either, you can either make it with cassava mm-hmm. or, or yam. And they pro- you probably find it made with a, a few other things yeah. too and everything. But they just take this starch, they cook it, and then they pound it. Yeah. And they make this sticky paste, you know, uh, that they use to eat their stews or their, their item with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. And so, was this was this trip that you took over there? Was this your first time ever going over there and, and visiting over there before? Uh, this last trip was my third. Third. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. So I previously had had gone to uh, Togo uh, and uh, Benin, mm-hmm. and also went to uh, Ghana before, uh, before that. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. And so, did you have any? Was this purely just a? Because a, I, I, I saw some pictures of what you were talking about. Uh, was this purely just a trip to go and, and visit? Uh, just like, was there any family or anybody over there? Or was this purely just a trip to go and visit and just kind of explore and, and learn and take it all in? I'm pro- I, pro- I may have run into some cousins. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not too sure. But uh, on my first trip after coming back from Ghana, I uh, took an ancestry. A DNA test. Yeah. Uh, the next one I'm going to do is the African ancestry because they have uh, a little bit more uh, solid data yeah. uh, as far as um, DNA results yeah. that they can connect you to a specific ethnic group uh, versus what uh, ancestry has available. Um, but I don't, and w- one of the reasons uh, for 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 taking the trip was to was to just to go 
just to be be on the ground and actually just touch the land. Yeah. Um, and every trip that I've taken has has uh, made an indelible mark mm-hmm. on me as a person, uh, just to be there and experience the hospitality of the people yeah. and to be so welcomed and to be so well taken care of, yeah. you know, while, while you're there, you know, was incredibly special, yeah. uh, because there's this thing in, between Africans and African Americans, they call it, uh, they call it the, the diaspora wars or whatever that, you know, Africans and African-Americans kind of don't get along. Mm-hmm. But in my experience, you know, um, that that's really not a thing. And if it is, I, I would encourage it to, yeah. to kind of not be a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Did you uh, in your your time over there, did you get any recipes or anything that you like while you're over? Did you learn any new cooking techniques or any recipes or anything that you brought back with you? Yeah. So the the, the trips. Each one of those trips have been geared towards sh- chefs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the first trip, you know, um, I went with uh, every trip I've gone. You know, I've, I went with uh, this really well-known author named Michael Twitty. Mm-hmm. He wrote this book called The Cooking Gene, yeah. and um, he's it was a New York Times bestseller, and he he won two James Beard awards mm-hmm. uh, for it, and uh, he's subsequently has authored a couple other books. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, spending time with him, you know, driving and visiting the places and actually listening to him explain some of the things and some of the connections that that are really important to us as African-Americans and being on the ground there mm-hmm. um, was 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 really key yeah. for the learning experience. And to so when I went to Ghana, I ate this thing uh, called grass cutter. Okay. I'm, I'm curious to learn about this now. So, grass cutter is, is nutria. Okay. Which is a rodent. Oh, it's a rodent. Okay. It's a rat. Uh, <laughs> just like, when you said nutria, that sounds like some kind of like like supplement brand or something, you know? That's, no, okay. no, no, no. It's, it's, it's a rat. And <laughs> these things uh, uh, roam wild mm-hmm. in the forest in Ghana and other places in, in uh, West Africa. And they're vegetarian, and they're very clean animals. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got to go through the process of you know, slaughtering it and preparing it to yeah. be cooked and everything. And I tell you, you know, it was it was one of the best things I've eaten. Really, in all of my visits, you know, to to West Africa, yeah. either in in uh, Ghana, Benin, yeah. Togo, and and Cameroon. Yeah. Um, then uh, Benin, you know, I got a lot of. Uh, I experienced nostalgia a couple of times, you know, having having uh, some some meals there. Uh, one of the meals I had was a, a, a plate of white beans, yeah, <laughs> which was so reminiscent of of growing up in my mom's house and eating her cooking. Yeah, you know, I kind of had the uh, the ratatouille, ratatouille moment. Yeah, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. It's a great. Um, yeah, yeah. And I was, I sat there at the table and and was just mesmerized. Yeah. Know, by you know the plate of food that, that was in front of me, yeah. and then um, this last trip, I experienced something that was really cool because the other two trips, you know, we we had gone to spice markets and stuff and look at look looked at some things and everything, but Cameroon was was really different. Um, I was able to bring back some things that I'm really really interested in using and incorporating into my cooking. Mm-hmm. Uh, here in the states and everything, but I saw 
and learned about ingredients that I had never heard about before. You know, some of the same things uh, happened in Ghana, but these things were, were incredibly impressive. Yeah. Uh, so one of the things that I learned about was this, this bark mm-hmm. uh, called garlic bark, uh, if, 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 I, if I remember the name correctly. but Like, like tree bark? Is that what you're talking like about? Like a tree bark, okay. yeah. And it has this intoxicating aroma of garlic. Okay. And it's incredible. Like in my in my at home, you walk into my place, it smells, you know, like like this ingredient. But um, then I learned about this thing called country onion or control onion, mm-hmm. and it's some kind of a nut or a dried thing that has an intense flavor and aroma of onion. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wow, you know, this, you know, like, imagine what you can do with some kind of dry spice with this and putting it on something or using it to finish something, mm-hmm. you know, or grating it on something, yeah. what uh, whatnot and everything. Um, so it, those are really cool. And then um, just, you know, just just those things and stuff, you know. And then, you know, each country in, in West Africa is different, you know, you know, given the ethnic groups that live there and the history and the religious uh, uh, religious practices that they have, you know. Uh, in Cameroon, there are lots of Muslims. Mm-hmm. Um, and they eat lots of beef. So mm-hmm. we, we got to see lots of, uh, a lot of the places that we stopped and visited, you would find people on the roadside selling this, these uh, skewers of meat on sticks, yeah. uh, meat on sticks, are uh, called suya, and uh, th- that was really interesting. And I was really excited about being able to taste and experience that and everything. And mm-hmm. uh, we got to eat some really, really good suya while we we're in Cameroon as well. Nice, nice. I'm sure that you know it's it's funny you say that because in in my experience growing up, ever seeing, I mean, I grew up an hour up the road from here, and so I mean, I. At the you know the foot of the Appalachian Mountains and everything, and mm-hmm. my experience with food being sold on the side of the road is something that you never, <laughs> you never want. To, usually, yeah. it's not something you want unless it's like you know, like uh, like maybe corn. You know, it's like it's a vegetable that you can trust around this area. Right. Usually, it's not something that you really you. At least I was never particularly interested in. Uh-huh. I remember there was one time I was driving, and, and keep in mind again, I, I grew up at the foot of Appalachian mountains and someone was selling what they said was fresh shrimp out of the back of a van. And I didn't go up and ask them, but I just was thinking, how fresh can it be? You know, we don't live like on the coast of Florida or something like where we have access to a, you know, a major waterway to get to. Uh, but that's funny. That's awesome. So, uh, so now that you're, you are, uh, looking to hopefully in the future, you know, turn, like you mentioned, uh, neutral ground is going to be, uh, hopefully be a food truck. And then, you know, maybe down the road, it'll have its own brick and mortar place. Uh, well, first off, how, how long have you officially been working in one way or, you know, in one way, shape or form in the kind of food business? Um, when I was teaching, I, st- I you know, after my first year of teaching, um, I, would spend my summers mm-hmm. uh, working in kitchens. Yeah. Uh, so uh, my first, my second year teaching, I spent pretty much the entirety of my summers working in kitchens. Yeah. And uh, I kind of, around this first or second year, I kind of made the decision that I was going to make a transition. Yeah. So th- that time, 
you know, I began doing a lot of research and reading and learning about, you know, what it would like, be like to be a chef. Mm-hmm. So I, I started re- researching culinary schools mm-hmm. and I visited a couple places and everything and started looking at funding and how much it would cost mm-hmm. and how much it would cost to, to make the transition. Mm-hmm. And after graduating, you know, what kind of job I could yeah. get and what kind of pathway I should try to take in order to pursue the type of career that I wanted in the food business. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wouldn't really count that, you know, as time, you know, being a chef. Oh, it, yeah, it was experience and stuff, yeah. you know, because I got to, you know, you know work in kitchens and, mm-hmm. and learn. Yeah. You know, at, no, no matter how small the role was, yeah. the thing was still a learning experience. But yeah. um, probably, you know, 12 to 15 years. Gotcha. So, which that's, uh, that's a long time. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so now that you're, you know, you've been over a decade into this, something that always strikes me a lot of times if I ever got to eat, uh, is I think a lot of the best restaurants are the ones that at least this is kind of the way I look at it. Yes, obviously they have great food, but they, they do a great job of allowing you to not realize all that's going into the dish that you're eating. Uh, and what I mean by that is like, you know, for instance, if you, if, if I came and ate at a restaurant that you're working at and you know, the waiter or waitress brings over a dish and it's great and it's fantastic and we have a wonderful evening and everything goes planned. The things that had to go into that happening was not just, Oh, there's a dish that's been ordered and it was cooked and then it was served. There's so many more things that go into it, like the atmosphere of the place, the staff that has to be, you know, that has to kind of put on, uh, put on the, the, uh, performance. the performance. Yeah. Like that's the, you know, they're, they're kind of putting on a show for you in, in one way or another. And then you add on to the fact that the food need should be, you know, made well. And, uh, you know, if, if it's worth your time, it'll be made in a, in a unique and interesting way. Mm-hmm. And I think part of the beauty of restaurants is kind of all of that being hidden from you to a degree mm-hmm. so that all you can focus on is the dish that's in front of you. And so I say all that to say, now that you've been working for over a decade or so, what are some kind of misconceptions or people or things that maybe people don't see about the restaurant industry that you've been able to see now, uh, now that you've been working for 10 or, you know, almost over 15 years now. To have a meal at a really high quality establishment, um, it takes hours of prep and work Mm -hmm. just to put that one plate in front of a guest. Yeah. Um, whether it be in the front of the house or the back of the house, Mm -hmm. Um, usually, uh, before the restaurant opens, you know, um, there have been people in the building mm-hmm. probably since 8 a.m. Yeah. You know, preparing for the four-hour dinner service that yeah. they're going to offer to the public mm-hmm. uh, on any given night of the week. Um, whether it be somebody getting there at 8 a.m. to check in the orders to put the fish away, to ice the fish, to to pull something from from the freezer, or to to bake the bread, or or batch cocktails, mm-hmm. or pull something that's been fermenting, or whatever you know. So there's a lot of work that goes into it, mm-hmm. you know. So when you get to the restaurant and you're greeted as a hostess stand, and you're taken to your table, mm-hmm. and you order your food and everything. There's been you no know, hours of work that have gone into yeah. making that experience yeah. uh, a seamless one yeah. for you to for you to get your your fresh, hot, delicious, 
item you know that that you've just ordered and everything yeah and the restaurants that do it really well um they pay painstaking attention to detail mm -hmm. uh to make sure that each guest gets what they're they've, they're expecting to get mm -hmm. and that they can offer the guests you know the best possible experience that they can give them mm -hmm. and and i think that that's when you say that, obviously that makes sense in my head. Like I like, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, but it's like none of that stuff. That's not what it usually what like. That's not what comes to mind whenever I'm. You know, if I'm at a restaurant, like I'm not thinking about the fact that whatever it is that I ordered, someone was there two, three, four hours prior to the store even opening, prepping these things so that whenever I take part in it, it would be the most fresh and most uh, you know pleasing experience. Mm -hmm. But I think that's part of the beauty of it is that. Um, that's part of the show is, is yes, you can recognize the fact that that takes place, but part of the fact that you may not realize you, you, you get to fully indulge in the meal in front of you and not, and not necessarily have to think about all the things that are happening in the background is part of the joy of being the customer in that sense, you know? Right. Yeah. I think that's really cool, but it's, it's, it's still crazy to me. Like I was watching a, a video not long ago and it was by this guy who he used to work, uh, kind of in corporate restaurant and now he's uh just making different cooking videos on his own and he had gone back to like the old restaurant that he worked at and he was talking to some of his friends that were there and it sh it shocked me how much time and effort went into the creation of the things that they were making relative to the amount of time that they were open if that makes sense you know mm -hmm. uh and i mean you know obviously different restaurants are open for different times and different restaurants are striving for different outcomes but you know, he was there, they were all there prepping things for hours and hours and hours and hours. And they like ate breakfast and lunch together. And this was before the restaurant actually opened. And I was like, when are they going to get to the point where people are going to come in? You know, like they've been prepping all this food and doing all these things. Mm -hmm. And it seems like they've just been kind of hanging out at this restaurant. But then, you know, obviously whenever dinner time comes around, whether it's two or three, four o'clock, whatever time that they open up, there's people there showing up and they're there for the experience. But it shocked me how much time and effort goes into, and this was a particularly like, it was a fine dining experience. So it's going to be different than, you know, other restaurants, but right. it shocked me how much time and effort truly went into that experience. And I know so many times, like I fail to recognize that as the consumer in the restaurant, you know? Yeah. yeah. And that's why it's important. Um, it's kind of a double double edged sword and everything because a lot of times when you're a fine dining restaurant or you're striving for that level of uh, food and service and drink to to give offer that to the public, you know, if people aren't cognizant uh, or aware <clears throat> the uh, the level of skill and dedication that it takes to you know to to practice that the mm -hmm. discipline that it takes yeah. and everything to, to to offer that to the public you know they can sometimes it can kind of make the, the experience a wash because mm -hmm. they don't they don't necessarily appreciate it because mm -hmm. um, but usually the people that do for the most part you know go to restaurants like that mm -hmm. they know what they're going to get and mm -hmm. they they don't mind paying the price mm -hmm. uh, for what they're getting as well yeah um, because, you know, kind of the job of the chef is to make sure, you know, that, you know, every guest gets the, the same experience mm -hmm. every time that they come and that they, uh, 
use their creativity and all the skills that they've developed over the years uh, to, to prepare a meal that's worthy mm-hmm. of a guest coming to take a seat. Yeah. yeah. So, and so something I almost am curious about is uh, your role as, you know, like the head chef of a restaurant. Um, obviously, there's other people in the back of a kitchen that do different jobs at a, at a restaurant. And, you know, there's people prepping. Uh, you know, there there may be somebody like I'd, I'd heard somebody on on some show and they worked at some restaurant and their whole job was just to like make the like make the pickles. Like they were just cutting up like cucumbers and then just putting them in the brine and like that was their whole job. You know, uh, and so but your job as the as the chef, are you more of like a orchestrator now, or are you still kind of in the role where you're kind of in the, in the weeds and making, te- you know, uh, kind of detailed decisions, you know, actually prepping the dishes or what, what does your role look like as the head chef of a restaurant compared to maybe someone a little bit down the line, if that makes sense. Um, and right now and my development of my restaurant, uh, I'm very hands-on. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but my role also is kind of the orchestrator as well and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, ideally, uh, I would like to get to the point where I'm more of an orchestrator mm-hmm. and, and the conductor. Mm-hmm. And there's other people that are taking care of the day-to-day things. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, yeah, that's kind of where I am right now. Yeah. And, you know, I have we haven't reached a point to where uh, we uh, have uh, the capacity to have a full team mm-hmm. of, of chefs mm-hmm. working for us. And I also have a full team of front of the house people working for yeah. us. That's awesome. Uh, something I'm curious about, and I've, I've talked to some people before that work in the, in the food industry. And I'm curious to hear your, uh, your thoughts on is, is the topic of culinary school, uh, and, and the role that it plays in people actually getting careers in and going to, uh, have jobs and sustainable careers in the food industry. You said you you mentioned you went to culinary school. Is that correct? Yes, I did. So obviously you're living proof that you know, for lack of better words, like it works. Uh, people go to culinary school and they have you know they they make careers out of it. But you know, there's I've also heard some people make the argument that like you don't necessarily have to go to culinary school. Like you can learn to cook even if you don't go to culinary school, and you can be a great chef and you can make great food even if you don't necessarily go to culinary school. It's kind of like uh, going to art school or something like art is subjective. And so you can be a great artist on your own, even if you don't necessarily go to an art school, uh, you know, if, you know, if, if that makes sense. And so I want to hear your thoughts a little bit just on that topic and that discussion. How do you view the, the role that culinary school plays in the restaurant and food business at large? And what do you think about the discussion about whether it's something you should do or whether you need to go to it or not for a, for a long lasting career? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll start with my experience first, and the reason why I decided to go to culinary school uh, was because I was a non-traditional student. Mm-hmm. I had already gone gone to college twice. Mm-hmm. Um, I had already, you know, got an undergraduate degree and um, and a graduate degree mm-hmm. uh, to become a teacher. So my choice in going to culinary school was one. Uh, I was older and. I didn't see the point of going kind of through a school of hard knocks mm-hmm. and making my druthers by working the line in restaurants mm-hmm. and everything at the ripe old age of 27. Yeah. You know, uh, so I've, I thought 
um, it would be more advantageous for me as a non-traditional person uh, getting into the food business to go to culinary school to kind of fast track myself Mm -hmm. by learning in a controlled environment uh, from people who have lots of industry experience Mm -hmm. um, and also going to New York as well to actually, while I was there, work in restaurants in New York City. Mm And 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 New York in general, mm-hmm. uh, so that was the reason why I decided to go to culinary school. Mm-hmm. Now culinary school is, is very expensive, mm-hmm. and I'm still paying for it <laughs> right now. Um, and so the other argument I would make is because culinary school is so expensive, and the jobs that are offered, mm-hmm. especially when I first started my career and, and finished, you know, you don't you don't it's not a, you're not going. It doesn't make sense to go to college, to culinary school, and get a either a two-year or four-year degree, mm-hmm. and come out and get a job paying ten dollars an hour, and yeah. you're in debt. Yeah. Uh, so my argument would be to to go work in kitchens, mm-hmm. and go work for the best chef that you can get a job working for, mm-hmm. and and be diligent about what you're doing mm-hmm. every day when you go to work, and and learn. Mm-hmm. Right, and then if you're serious enough and you're dedicated enough, you find uh, it might be a good idea for you to further your mm-hmm. learning in a controlled environment and go to culinary school, because you know the CIA is a is a is a really good institution. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned um, quite a bit. You know, all, all culinary schools aren't created the same, mm-hmm. so I was I would suggest that people do research and have and be intentional about what they decide to do mm-hmm. and what you want to learn and yeah. try to figure out the best environment for you um, uh, because culinary schools cost a lot of money and it costs a lot of money to operate culinary schools mm-hmm. because you know quite a few of them have opened and closed mm-hmm. uh, but the CIA has been around for for a long time and it has a really really good reputation yeah uh, it has a, a really big alumni network. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was one of the things that I considered in, in making the, the decision to, to go to culinary school. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it helps, you know, to have, you know, that you graduated from the Culinary Institute of America on your resume. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, pe- most people uh, consider the CIA the, the Harvard of culinary schools. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but yeah, it really, ultimately, it's more about what you put into it, yeah, you know. So uh, I've, if there's quite a few people that I started my cohort with, with, and uh, when I went to the CIA, mm-hmm. that aren't working in the food business anymore. Yeah, uh, not as traditional chefs. Yeah, some may have transitioned to other jobs, which is fine and everything, mm-hmm. but uh, it's it's a hard night life. Yeah, so uh, yeah. it's a lot to consider, and uh, I would encourage those who want to do it to really spend some time you know weighing the pros and cons yeah yeah and i think it's interesting too as well that at least from what i understand and you can correct me if i'm totally off base with this but it seems to me like the restaurant industry from from the standpoint of the the cooking and preparation side of things is is an industry that there's kind of multiple ways to get to the end goal like if your end goal is to open a restaurant or be the head chef at a restaurant um, 
you can do kind of like what you said, like you can approach culinary school and you can use that as your tool, or you can also just start working under a great chef. Like you said, like you can Mm -hmm. kind of work, work your way up in that traditional way. Uh, and then if you decide to go to culinary school after that, to really hone in your craft, then that's another, another option available to you. Mm -hmm. But I think it's very interesting because like, you know, if you think about, uh, you know, like I work here, we do accounting and taxes and, this isn't necessarily an environment that you could just like walk in and find your favorite, you know, tax firm and just get a job at and work your way up under the best CPA in town. And then you become one yourself. Uh, but in the restaurant industry, there's that option is available to you a lot of times. Uh, so, but then, you know, there arises the question of who should you work under? What environment should you work in? Um, I, I think it's very interesting and, and one that uh, it's such a unique uh, industry and such a unique dynamic of uh things kind of working together that i just i just think it's really really interesting that there's multiple ways to get to the same end like that you know mm-hmm. yeah uh did you ever was was this something that you always wanted to do in some way or was this something that you really like you you really took to uh kind of in those years whenever you first started working uh in in the kitchen of a restaurant um i, I want to piggyback off the last point you made oh, yeah. and, and kind of give a, an, an analogy uh, to maybe help people understand better. I, I would kind of uh, relate, you know, deciding to do culinary school or going to work in a restaurant uh, to pro sports and everything. Like the, the whole one and done culture now, like in college basketball, uh, or, you know, like you can go to the minor leagues mm-hmm. and go work at, you know, some chain restaurants. Or you can go to the big leagues and go work, you know, get a job that's harder to get, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe wash dishes in a nicer restaurant and work your way up as a prep cook and stuff mm-hmm. like that and everything and 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 do it that way and kind of go straight to the pros at a high school, mm-hmm. you know, like, yeah. like Kobe Bryant or some of those guys have did and, and maybe go work for one of the best chefs in town as if they were a Phil Jackson or, yeah. or, or Pat Riley or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, but, um, to your second question, um, I didn't know, uh, this was something I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it kind of came about, you know, when I graduated college, uh, and I was an assistant basketball coach and I was on my own and I, was, I began to cook for myself and I would spend time on the phone talking to my mom hey mom how do you make so-and-so how do you do this and everything and I would be in the kitchen trying to cook and everything yeah and making a bunch of mistakes <laughs> and everything and trying to read cookbooks and stuff you know and uh because I missed you know a lot of the the flavors yeah and the food that I had growing up mm-hmm. and then you know like I didn't get into teaching and coaching because it was something that I desired to do mm-hmm. so when I um graduated college one of the things that I did, uh, I became an, a graduate assistant in between becoming a professional coach uh, at, at Lee University. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, uh, there was a, a master's program and they only offered one degree. Mm-hmm. And that one degree was teaching. <laughs> and the whole idea behind that was if I was going to continue in the, this career path yeah. as, a, as a coach, you know, getting a teaching degree would, would offer me stability, yeah. you know, as a coach and everything. Mm-hmm. So I could, you know, be able to get a job teaching mm-hmm. at the college level mm-hmm. and also uh, 
working working as a coach. Mm-hmm. So that was that was the whole premise behind that and everything. But my heart of hearts was to to actually get a get a master's degree in business, mm-hmm. and um, I didn't have the money to pay for it. Yeah. So teaching it was. Yeah. Um, so that transition, you know, when my time ended at Lee University as an assistant coach. Uh, I transitioned uh, here to a job in Hamilton County at, at Tyner High School as a, yeah. as a teacher and coach, and mm-hmm. and then one thing led to another, and I you know started my journey uh, of discovery and becoming a chef. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. That's awesome. And 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 the cool thing, uh, at least to me, hearing about that is, I think a lot of times we as individuals we tend to rightfully so or, or, or you know wrongfully so we tend to pigeonhole ourselves and think that once we've decided on a certain path or a certain career or a certain idea of what we want to be that is all that we can be uh and i think that you know at least in your story like i think that's really cool that you have now had experience in two very different fields uh but those fields have made you into who you are today uh and that's just for me as a you know 22 going on 23 year old um stories like that are always very helpful and inspiring to me because a lot of times like I and other individuals, like we always think of like, what are you, what are you going to do with your life? Like, what do you, what do you want to do? And it can be very easy to think that whatever it is that you decide to do first is the thing that you're going to do for the rest of your life. But you still have options available to you. There's still things that you can do. There's still time to pivot and change. And I think that's, uh, that's a great reminder to have, you know, and and a great thing to remember no matter what stage of life that you're in, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I agree. And the other interesting part about the decision I made to quit teaching was um, I quit um, in May of 20, you know, 2007. I was up, I was going to get tenure mm-hmm. as a teacher the following year. Mm-hmm. It would have been my fifth year teaching and mm-hmm. I, was, I, would have, I was up for tenure. Mm-hmm. So, which, you know, Obviously, would have offered a lot, more, a lot of job security, but I decided against it because I wanted to follow my passion. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool, man. I love it. Um, well, Kenyatta, first, I want to just say thank you for coming in. Uh, it's been a lot of fun just getting to talk with you and uh, and learn about you and your story and, and what you've you know had going on. I've been, like I said, kind of at the beginning, I've had the pleasure of kind of watching your story grow a little bit uh, over the past few months and just seeing all the things you've been up to and. Uh, I was really looking forward to chatting with you today. So I appreciate you, one, just for coming in and making some time to chat with me and uh, sharing a little bit about your story. Before we finish up, uh, there is one kind of segment that I like to finish each episode off with, uh, just as a fun little way to end off each episode. Uh, And this is a short segment that I like to call 15 Quick Questions. Okay. Uh, And so I've got 15 questions for you. They're this or that questions, A or B, hot or cold. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I just want to hear your thoughts off the top of your head and and see what you have to say. Some of these are uh, are intentionally food related because I know that you work with food a lot. Uh, and so I'm curious to hear your thoughts on these. So does that sound good to you? Yeah, sounds good. Yeah. All right, let's do it. This is 15 quick questions with chef Kenyatta. Number one, hot coffee or iced coffee, or you can sub tea if you prefer that. Yerba mate. Yerba mate. Yeah. No, there, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Do you prefer, uh, or how do, how, how do you prefer to have it? Uh, I've not had enough yerba mate to tell you. To yerba mate, uh, probably cold. Okay, gotcha. That's not something I've I've I haven't had enough of to know uh, to really know how it's prepped. So interesting. Uh, all right, number two, pineapple on pizza. Yes or no? Yes. You like it? Yeah. Yeah. Like it, yeah. Uh, all right. <laughs> number three, does ranch belong on spaghetti? Yes or no? No. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. Uh, pancakes or waffles? Waffles. I'm a big waffle guy. I prefer waffles. I like the texture. Yeah, the me texture too. Oh, yeah, me too. Uh, which do you prefer, French fries or tater tots? It's hard to be the really good French fry. Man. <laughs> it is. And there's lots of, there's different kinds of French fries. Like, there's different ways you can make it, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, would you rather eat cookie dough or brownie batter? Brownie batter. Mm-hmm. Uh, which do you prefer, Italian food or Mexican food? Hmm. Those are like two of my favorites. That's why I'm asking. I'm curious. Yeah. Hmm. Both cuisines are really, really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would probably say Mexican food. At this point in my life, for whatever reason, I'm a big Mexican food fan. Like I, I yeah. I'm a big, big fan. So I would, I would go along with that. Like really authentic Mexican food. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, like, yeah, like. Like I would like to go into Oaxaca State or somewhere and like spend some time at somebody's grandma house cooking in the backyard and oh, just yeah. eating everything that they prepare for. Oh yeah, I, I've I know I've yeah. mentioned this before. I think I've mentioned this before in here, and I've talked to you know some of my close friends about it. But uh, I had the privilege of taking a trip to Texas a couple summers ago, and we got to go like south, 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 south Texas, like right below the border, and some of the the best Mexican food I've ever had. My it was unlike anything I'd ever had before. Yeah. I, I have pictures of the food, and every now and then I'll see those. I'm like, oh my gosh! Like it was just yeah. unlike anything I've had before. So I talk about that a lot uh, off the show, but uh, that just reminded me. But yes, I would I would definitely agree. Um, all right, what is better on a hot day, ice cream or a popsicle? I like popsicles, mm-hmm. uh, particularly the ones that that are um, made from like fresh fruit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, those are really refreshing. Oh, yeah. Just, yeah. Those are good. Um, all right. Which do you prefer, guacamole or salsa? Mm. Salsa, probably, mm-hmm. uh, because I haven't had enough variations in guacamole. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. Like, cause like you can get like all kinds of salsas. Yeah, that's true. I haven't thought about that way. And I'm I've only seen guacamole prepare, you know, particular way. You know, yeah, uh, onions, you know, chilies, cilantro, maybe some jalapeno, some uh, some jalapeno and some tomato or something like that. But yeah, Um, salsa because you can you can make salsas from lots of different things. Interesting. I I hadn't thought about that way before. Um, all right. Which do you prefer, crunchy or creamy peanut butter? Crunchy peanut butter. I agree. I'm, yeah. I'm a big big fan of crunchy. <laughs> yeah. All right. Final five questions here. When you're cooking, which do you prefer, more more appliances when cooking, so more kind of like things to help you along the way, or do you like to do it more traditionally where it's, you know, you, a knife, and maybe like a mortar and pestle go along with it? Does that make sense? It would be yeah. me, the knife, and the mortar and pestle. Yeah, yeah. Um, sometimes I think that having... In, in my opinion, sometimes having the more like things around you just it just gets distracting, you know, if, if that makes sense. Um, all right, spicy food or mild food? Spicy, yeah. Uh, would you rather go vegan or carnivore if you had to choose one or the other? I want to open up a vegan restaurant, really. I do, nice, uh, because I really want to explore the idea of making vegan food out of 
really good vegan food out of just using yeah. everyday things. Yeah. You know, just making vegan food out of out of vegetables, mm-hmm. not making other not not taking other things and processing them and okay, this is vegan meat yes. or this is, you know, like yeah. the vegetables are the star. Mm-hmm. Like making really good dishes that are satisfying, that you can get umami from, that mm-hmm. you can get you know, texture contrast mm-hmm. from, uh, from vegetables. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that nobody in Chattanooga is doing. Yeah, well, well that's awesome. Well, if you do that, definitely let me know. I want to try that out because I, I, uh, I think that I'm not personally a vegan, uh, but it's more just because I don't know at this point, like I don't know how to prepare enough vegan dishes where I would be satisfied with it, like throughout you know a week or a month or so. So mm-hmm. yeah, that, I think that'd be awesome. I would love to see that. That'd be that would be fantastic. And it, it would be cool because it'll be challenging, like you said, to to use vegetables and foods in their seasonality. Yeah, and to make really good food from it. Yeah, like you, it would it would it would kind of it would be like one a really good challenge as yeah. a chef. Uh, of your creativity and your skill. Yeah, I love it. All right, final two questions. Which do you prefer, sweet or savory? Savory. And final question. I asked this question of everybody, so I want to hear your answer and also hear your your rationale behind your answer. Would you rather fight one duck-sized, or I'm sorry, would you rather fight one horse-sized duck or 100 duck-sized horses? So you got 100 small little horses or one really, really big duck. Which would you prefer and why? I want to hear your, hear your thought process here. <laughs> <laughs> one horse-sized duck. Yes. Uh, 100 duck-sized... Horses. Horses. <laughs> I can see the wheels are turning. Oh, uh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, what do I get to fight the ducks with? So... Usually, the kind of the way I think of it is like some kind of blunt object. So, like, I feel like a gun would be too far because that'd be that'd just be too right. like too much of an advantage. So, some kind of blunt object is kind of what I'm thinking of this hypothetical situation. Yeah, um, some kind of blunt object. So, a duck-sized horse. Hmm. What kind of duck, though? Is it <laughs> is it is a is it a duck that can? It's a good question. I, in, in my mind, I'm think I'm thinking of like a classic, just like yellow duck, just like a classic yellow, I guess orange bill. I guess their bill is orange. Yeah. Uh, just like a yellow classic. I assume I I assume they can fly, but that's what in my mind what I'm thinking of. If they could fly, I would take the the bigger one because I would think of the duck sized horses. Okay, so the duck size. Okay, now I, I think <laughs> I would do the duck size horses. Okay, okay. So you're taking the hundred, the hundred small horses. Okay. The hundred small horses. All right. Yeah. So what's because, what's because they can't fly. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I got. I got it now. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, well, thank you for playing along. Uh, that is 15 quick questions for you. Uh, before we finish up, I know that you've got uh, links for social media accounts for yourself and for Neutral Ground, so I'll make sure those are included in the in the description of the episode. So if you're listening and you want to check them out, uh, then definitely find those down there. Uh, but are there any other links or anything that people should be aware of that they can find you and follow along with? Um, follow, follow us on our social media. Mm-hmm. That will be the easiest way to keep track of any progress or any new updates. Uh, particularly on Chef Kenyatta Ashford mm-hmm. and on at Neutral Ground Chat, uh, both on Facebook and Instagram. Sweet, sweet. 
Well, I will make sure those links are down there. Um, so if you are listening and you want to check those out, then definitely head down there, uh, check out what Kenyatta has going on. Uh, and I recommend giving them a follow, see what they've got going on and following along with all the things that they are doing. Uh, but yeah, with all that out of the way, Kenyatta, thank you for coming in uh, this evening and talking with me. I appreciate it. It's been my pleasure getting to chat with you and Thank you very much for coming in. It's been awesome. awesome. Yeah, I appreciate it, Daniel. Thank you. For sure. Uh, and for everyone that is out there listening, thank you as always for tuning into this episode of the podcast. If you'd like to check out any of the links or anything that was mentioned previously, check out the description down below. If you'd like to contact myself, uh, then that link will be down below as well. As always, thank you for listening to and supporting the show, and I'll catch you all on another episode of the podcast. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the podcast. As one final reminder, if you'd like to support the show, then don't forget to rate and review the show wherever you get your podcast or share it with a friend. If you'd like to check out any links that were mentioned during the show or follow the show or myself on social media, then feel free to head to the description of today's episode to find these links. As always, thank you again for checking out today's episode, and I really hope you enjoyed it. I will catch you all on the next episode of the podcast. See ya.